Take courage when the road is long. Don't ever forget you are never alone. I want you to live forever underneath the sky so blue. Well, as I mentioned before, we're starting a new series this morning uh, that's going to take us literally through the next, um, man, Rusty like really messed this thing up last week. What did, what did y'all do to him? A little crooked and everything. They broke it. Uh, so we're, we're going to start the book of John today uh, for the next, um, I don't know, year, two years, three, I don't, we'll see how long it takes. Uh, it'll be a while though, so uh, I hope that you like the book of John. I'm really, really excited about this. And I hope that you will be too. And so we're gonna we're gonna start today, and we'll go for a little while. We'll take a few breaks in between to do uh, a few short series uh, along the way. But uh, for the next year or so, probably a little over a year, uh, we will be in the book of John uh, together. And so I'll do my best uh, to not just make it. Uh, you know, all right, John one one. Here we go. Okay, so it won't be like that at all. It's it's, it's going to be really. Uh, really exciting, I think. Uh, but I want to let you know, so if, actually, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 20. Ah, gotcha, right? You thought, oh, John chapter 1. Here we go. We're going to start at the end of John, and uh, and then we'll, we'll go to John 1 next week. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. So as you're turning there or opening up your YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along in the events section there if you want. Uh, all the scripture will be there, uh, as well as notes, or uh, if you've got one of these things. It's really crazy. They still make these. They're paper. Uh, it's nuts, I know. But uh, you can open that up as well. But uh, next week, I want to tell you about something on, uh, that's really exciting as well. We do, uh, we do this thing here called Next Steps Class. And Next Steps Class is basically a time, if you're fairly new to the Ridge, uh, within the last year or less, uh, or maybe even today is your first day here, and you want to know more about who we are, why we do what we do, what we believe, uh, ways that you can be involved, whether it be through community groups or uh, serving in the church or something like that. Not saying that you have to do those things. We just give you the option to learn about those things and ask questions, meet some new people. If that's something that is interesting to you and you would like to do that, I'd encourage you to be here next week at, during the 11 o'clock service. We do uh, a Next Steps class, and it takes place uh, down the hall by the cafe, and that'll be taking place during the 11 o'clock service. So you can attend the 9, and then you can uh, go to Next Steps during the 11 o'clock 
uh, if you want to. And something new that we're doing uh, through Next Steps class uh, now, and, and it's not even some. So even if you have been here for a long time, but you want to do this part of it, is we're doing uh, something brand new through some spiritual gift assessment as well as uh, a disc assessment. And so if you've never done those things, we want to help you find out. Uh, what God has gifted you with, what passions God has placed in you so that you can use those, not just here in the church, but in the community. We want you to know uh, the way that God has wired you, and so we want to help you with that. And so that's part of the Next Steps class, uh, which will be taking place next week during the 11 o'clock service. If that's something that is uh, that interests you at all, and you want more information about that, or you would just like to say, hey, I'd like to go ahead and reserve a spot for that, uh, fill out a Connect card today, and then on your way out of the doors here, stop by Ridge Central and drop that off to say, hey, I'd like to, to go to that uh, next week. So uh, one of the things that, that really sort of doesn't sort of, it just does, it drives me crazy about ourselves as Christians is that, that we like to make Jesus out to be who we want him to be instead of who he really is. Oftentimes we uh, we will take Jesus and, and, and we will say, this is who I want my Jesus to be. And say, I, I, I'm a Christian and so I can make fun of myself like this because I'm guilty of this too. And I think that in some way we have all, one time or another, uh, made Jesus out to be someone that he's not. Because we have all of these different versions of Jesus existing in our culture. For example, you have the, what I like to call the, the precious moments Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? He's got long, flowing, blonde hair. He's white. He always wears a white robe, and he carries around the lamb and recites the footprints uh, poem all the time. You know what I'm talking about? That Jesus, he's, he's kind, he's gentle, he's loving, he's never gotten upset or angry or uh, has any, you know, discord whatsoever. Uh, and is some of that true? Yes, some of that is true about the character and nature of Jesus. But that's not all that he is, and so we can't think of him just in that way. You also have what I like to call the political party Jesus. Whatever your political party is, is that who is Jesus is for? If you're a Democrat, then Jesus is a Democrat. He has to be, right? I mean, because Jesus would be a Democrat. If you're a Republican, then Jesus would be a Republican, right? I mean, that's that's, I mean, that's because Jesus is American, so he has to be Republican, right? And so, like, we make Jesus out to be, maybe he's Tea Party Jesus. I don't know, but whatever your political beliefs are, we like to think that Jesus is that too. Stepping on toes already. Hippie Jesus. You got hippie Jesus. Yeah, that's right. He, he, there actually is a uh, Jesus action fig figure, believe it or not. Uh, my favorite, Caleb Jesus. Caleb Jesus is, is the Jesus that uh, never, uh, never has experienced any sorrow or trials. It's good and perfect for the whole family. Uh, I'll have to explain that later. Uh, prosperity gospel Jesus is the Jesus that says that everything is a blessing. Everything is a blessing. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you give this, you will be blessed. If you do this, do this, do this, do this. You've got to do all of these things, but you've got to do all of these things because if you don't do all these things, then you don't get blessed. That's prosperity, Jesus. And then you have poverty, Jesus. Poverty, Jesus says, I just want you to be poor. Because I was poor, and so you can't, you can't have money, you can't have nice things. You should feel bad about yourself if you have a nice house. Because that's not what I have. You see, 
we do this to Jesus all the time. We, we take Jesus, and what we do is we form Jesus into our image instead of allowing Jesus to form him into you. Uh, or instead of allowing uh, Jesus to form us into his image. And all too often, we just want to say, I want Jesus to be this. Or I want Jesus to be that. I need Jesus to be this. One of the greatest questions that we will ever answer in our life is this. Who is Jesus? Not who do you want Jesus to be, but who is Jesus? Not who do you need Jesus to be, but who is Jesus? And so over the next year or so, we're going to seek that answer out, and we're going to do it by walking through the book of John together, because John, John is going to show us who this Jesus is. He's going to paint a picture and show us and tell us with words and images and stories and, and eyewitness accounts to say, this is who Jesus is. Let me ask you this question. Who is, think, you don't have to answer it out loud, but, but at, think about it. Who's your nearest and greatest friend? Your closest and best friend? Think, think about who that, that person is. For me, it would, it would be my wife, Denera. She, she's my closest and, and best friend. She knows everything about me. We know everything about each other. We, we spend time together. We talk to each other. We're constantly around each other. And you're like, that's a good thing. You're married. You should be. Uh, and, and so we are. We're, 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 that's, that's my best friend. And I've, I've had other really close friends, and I've got really good other close friends. But my closest, nearest, best friend is my wife. And for Jesus, for Jesus, it would be the man that we're going to read about over the next little while this man john you see we don't get to choose our family and i know that's a bummer for some of us uh we don't get to choose our family right but we do we do get to choose our friends we do get to choose our friends and jesus chose john to be one of his closest and best friends now this is not to be confused with john the baptist okay this john is not that john in fact we'll talk about john the baptist here in just a couple of weeks but this john was often called uh the one that jesus loved in fact john would actually write that about himself and so we hadn't really figured out exactly what what he meant by that but but he was called the one that jesus loved this was jesus's best friend there's a few the things that that we know about john just as some background so as we dive into this book we kind of understand a little bit who we're talking about john was he was a disciple of jesus and jesus first meets him when john was uh just basically running the family business as a fisherman he was out fishing one day out in the boat and we read about this first encounter in mark chapter 1 verse 19 you don't have to turn there it'll be on the screen i'll show read it to you he says this he says in going a little farther he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so when Jesus comes along, it says that he leaves it all and he follows Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. Think about the implications of that. Think about like just you doing your regular everyday job, what it is that you're going to go and do later this afternoon or tomorrow or sometime later this week, and, and you go to your job and somebody comes along and says, hey, follow me, and you go, I'm out, right? And you just leave. You just go and you, you follow and you, you leave the whole business behind. 
And this wasn't just like a, a job that, that John had. This was the family business. Like this was one day, this was going to be John's business. It says that he immediately leaves that job and, and begins to follow Jesus. And so this, this John, he, he saw so much. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus uh, raise Lazarus from the dead and, and others brought back to life. John was sitting around the table in that upper room hours before Jesus would be crucified. John was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. He saw him resurrected. This John, this disciple of, of Jesus, he, he wrote several books in the New Testament that we have. We obviously have the book of John. We have first and second and third John. And we also have the book of Revelation, all uh, believed to be penned by this, this John. And in first John, this is what he writes. He says this in first John chapter one. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Listen to what John's saying. He's saying, I've seen this Jesus. Not only have I seen him, I've heard him teach, but I've also touched him. In other words, John is saying, I've seen, I've, like, I lived this. I'm not just telling you something that I heard about somebody else tell me. I'm telling you what I've seen with my own eyes. He says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. That means it was made real. And we have seen it. And he says, and so we testify to it. In other words, he's saying, because we've seen this, we're going to tell you about it. And so that's why John writes the words that he writes. So John was more than capable of writing these words through God as one who had seen and experienced Jesus up close. And so in John chapter 20, starting in verse 30, John really gives us here at the end of his gospel, he gives us the whole thesis, if you will, for the entire gospel of John. And he says this, listen to what he says, John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, just a little, uh, some factual things here about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is believed to really only have covered about 21 days of the life of Jesus. That's it. About 21 days of the three years of the span of Jesus' ministry, the Gospel of John really only records about 21 days worth of uh, information and stories and, and events of the life of Jesus. And so we have like the book of Luke and we have the book of Mark, which covers really a, a lot longer span of time. But the detail that John writes about is, is what makes this book so interesting. Plus, in that 20, about 21 days worth of time that, that this covers, it just really gives us a picture of who Jesus is. And so John says, there are so many other things that I could have wrote down. There are so many other things that I could have put in this. But I don't have the time, that's what he says. He, he says this, verse 31, here's the thesis. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in 
his name. And so John, John says, here's what I want you to believe. I, two things that I really want you to believe. The first thing is this, that Jesus is the Messiah. He says Christ, uh, the, the word is, is, is Messiah that, that comes from the Greek. He says that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament has been pointing to. You know, the most pivotal thing about being a follower of Jesus is, is this, is that believing and knowing that he is the Messiah. It's the most pivotal thing. Without the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that saves, the only one that saves, there is no hope in this life. And then, then there is no heaven that awaits. It's the most pivotal thing about being a follower of Christ. It's the most pivotal thing about who Jesus is, is that he is the Messiah. And that word Messiah means the one who has come to save. And so Jesus, again, going back to, to how we like to sort of just make Jesus into our image or make him out to be just what we want him to be. Jesus was not just some good guy who taught a moral way to live life. He was not just that. He was not just a, a historical figure that, that did some, some really interesting or, or cool things. He was, is, and will be Messiah. Messiah. The one who saves through his blood and the sacrifice of his body so that you and I will have eternal life. You see, our entrance to heaven is not about how well we live our lives. That's not what gets you to heaven. It's not about how well you live your life. It's not how well I live my life. It's not how good of a person I can be. Not how moral of a person I can be. Because I know lots and lots and lots of good, moral, outstanding people who will not be in heaven. When this life is over. It's about how Jesus lived his perfect life. And gave his life up as a sacrifice to save us from our sins. Who took our place so that we might have life. And without this belief. Without this belief. And it's not just belief. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Without this, we cannot be saved. And so John, he isn't saying that we must believe that Jesus is the one called Messiah, but that we believe that he is the Messiah and that the Old Testament promises who said that he would come. You see, the Old Testament, it's just, it's just, it's not just, um, the Old Testament, it's not just uh, uh, one, or let me, let me phrase it like this. The Old Testament, it, it's really just one story. It's not, we, we look at the Old Testament, it's like, well, there's the book of Hosea, and the book of Numbers, and the book of this, and there's all these different books. But it's really just one story foreshadowing and pointing to Jesus. Like everything, like we talked about the, the story of Hosea and Gomer this morning. That's the, that's the story of Jesus giving his life for us. It's all pointing toward Jesus. Every bit of scripture in the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus. And if you want to really learn Scripture and you want to really learn about the Old Testament and, and figure out some of the weird things that are happening in there, every time you read Old Testament Scripture, ask yourself this, this question. Where is Jesus in this? How does this point to Jesus? You'll take your, your Bible study to a whole other level by doing that. And so it's the story of God creating man and man rebelling against God, God sending his own son Jesus to bring back together what has been fractured through sin. And so John is saying, this person, Jesus, this is the one we must believe is that person who reconciles us back. He reconciles us back. 
And so the first thing that he wants us to know, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And the second thing that he says here is that, that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. Not just a God, a little G God, but the one true God from whom all things come. Only someone divine. Only someone who would be God himself could fulfill all that was promised in the Old Testament. Only someone divine who would be God himself could be a perfect sacrifice to pay in full the payment of sin for the world. Only God can do that. Not a little G God, but God, the one true God divine. But here's here's the key word that connects all of these things. Listen to what John says here. This is the key word. He says, so that you may believe. That word believe is the one that brings all of these things together. And so this, this word believe, the word that John uses here, it, it's, um, it's such a key word and it connects all of these things together. But it's not just a, a sort of a, a cognitive word that says uh, in our head that we believe. The word here that he uses is actually one that means to trust. So it's not just knowing, head knowledge believing, but it's a belief that actually leads to an action of trust. It's not just having head knowledge that Jesus is Messiah and that he is God, but having heart knowledge and trust that he is who he says he is. And so there's this Greek word uh, in the original uh, text here, uh, that, that John actually uses. And this, this Greek word that John uses is called pisteo. Not like pasta, but pisteo, okay? Um, pisteo is, is a word, it's the Greek word that literally means to be all in with our trust. It's what the word pisteo means. It means to be all in with our trust. Um, a lot of you all will, will, will know this, but how many of you guys remember the fantastic theological wonder of a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember that movie? Yeah, great, man. It's, one, it's probably my favorite Indiana Jones movie ever. <laughs> That's right. Uh, good. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. So, hey, we... Indiana Jones, that's right, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and so you probably know where I'm going with this, but there's this scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where Indiana is off to find, uh, find the cup, right, he, he's, he's, he's in the cave and he's going through all the sections and everything like that to try to find the cup, and, and he gets to this one part in, uh, in, in the cave where there is just this huge chasm, right, and there's nothing there. It, I mean, there, it's, there's no bottom to it. it there's, that doesn't look like there's any way to go across. And the way that he actually has to go across this thing is to take a leap of faith, right? To take a step. And, and you've, all seen, uh, you've all seen the scene, right? There, there's, there it is, right? He just takes a leap and he takes his foot. You remember, right? He takes, takes his foot out like this and he just drops. Right, and then when he like hits, he's just like, "Oh my gosh, there's actually something there!" Right, but the whole point of that was that he had to believe that when he stepped off into the nothing, that there was actually something there that was holding him. That's what the uh, the the book that he had that, that was basically what it was saying that hey, if you if you don't believe, this ain't gonna work, right? And so this is the same thing, sort of the same idea that John is talking about through 
pisteo. He's saying that, that it, it's a belief that, that leads to an action that leads you to be all in with trust. It's not just head knowledge. It has to be heart knowledge. He says, so that you may pisteo. And so the goal of this book, this gospel of John, is, is that we would simply not just know, but that we would trust our life to him. And if we do, John says it will produce belief. True belief. And by belief, we will have life in his name. Life in his name. And that's such a bold claim that John is making. And through, so all throughout the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus is this life, and the life is only found in Him. In fact, John 1, 4, it says this, it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And uh, three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have eternal what? Life. Chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes, pisteos him, has a trust that is all in, who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25 and 26 of chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the what? Life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's pivotal. We'll come back to that. And Jesus said, verse 14, chapter 6, he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I, I know it sounds like such a churchy thing to say, but I believe it with all of my heart that it's true, that the best life is life in Christ, no matter our circumstances. Because sometimes circumstances are really bad, and they're really rough, and they really stink. But I believe that life is still found in Christ, and the best life is still found in Christ. And that's what John is claiming here with these bold statements that saying that life, true life, is only found in Jesus. And so he wrote this. I mean, think about this. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, John wrote this. And so it's possible you might think to yourself, okay, yeah, I get it, you know, and that, that's just, that, that's old. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. I mean, what did John know about, about true life and, and, and this abundant life? Like, I, I've got a good life now. I mean, John didn't know anything about a cool mint frappuccino from Starbucks on a hot summer day. He didn't know anything about that. I mean, that's life right there, right? And what did John know about that, right? Or, I mean, what did John know about the life-giving joy of being able to binge watch an entire two seasons of Stranger Things on Netflix all in one day? You know what I'm saying? I mean, John, John didn't know anything about that. If he would have had Netflix 2,000 years ago, he would have been like, let me tell you what life is. Locking myself in a room with no windows, some snacks, and Netflix, right? Or what about Paul? You know, Paul, Paul echoes what John says. Paul says this, actually. Paul says, 
A little later on in Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul, I mean, maybe he was wrong too, because Paul, Paul said this, he said, you know what, I've achieved everything. I've gotten great success. I've done amazing things. I'm a smart dude. And he says this, though, in Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I count it all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul's a little fired up when he writes that because when he writes rubbish, he doesn't write rubbish. You know what he writes? A cuss word. You can figure it out. He's fired up. He's like, you know what? I've had it all. And he's looking out across the culture and he's like, you people think you got it figured out. You think you've got it together. You think just because you've got this and you, maybe you're rich or maybe you're smart or maybe you've got a great career or maybe you've got a great family or you've got this and this and this and you've got all of these things. You think you've got it figured out, but you've got nothing. He's like, because I've got all those things too and I can't, they're nothing. They're nothing. But I'll tell you what is something. It's knowing Jesus. It's like none of this stuff matters. In fact, you can have it. Just give me Jesus. Why? Because of this life that John says that Jesus comes to give. So maybe, maybe you're not yet convinced that what John is saying is true, that, that, there, that in Jesus there is life. And so over and over and over, Jesus told his disciples, he said, come to me and you will receive life, peace, and lasting joy. Because he created us per- to pursue joy in him through Jesus. But so often we just don't take it seriously. Instead, we settle for the created over the creator. We settle for, for empty things. And we trade Jesus off for things that just don't matter. Things that will give us five seconds of pleasure or ten minutes of joy. And Paul and John and so many others are saying, no, 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 no. Like, I just don't want, don't, don't waste your life on things empty things the old testament would say don't trade jesus don't trade something eternal for broken empty vessels c.s lewis he wrote this sort of a long quote but he says this he says if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so John is saying here, there is greater pleasure than the mud pies of this world. Jesus offers us the ultimate pleasure, and that's eternity with him. But let me ask you this. Do you believe this? 
John says this, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may believe this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you believe this? Maybe you've never come face to face with this question. Do you believe? See, I, maybe you don't know this, but I know this, is that you're not here by accident today. Even if you're here every single week, even if you, you, you call Rich Church your home and you're here most of the time, you're not here by accident today. I believe that, that you're here so that you will come face to face with wrestling with this question. Do you believe this? Have you just had head knowledge but not heart knowledge? Do you pisteo? Do you believe that says all out trust? Because if we pisteo, if we pisteo, if we believe the way that John is talking about here, not just head knowledge but heart knowledge, if we pisteo, here's what I know to be true. It will come out of us. It will come out of us. We'll live it out. The Apostle Paul, he said this, he said, faith, that's belief, faith without works is a dead faith. Faith that doesn't come out of us is a faith that doesn't exist at all. It's like if I tell my wife, if I only tell my wife that I love her, but I never ever show her. If I tell my children, I love you and I'll do anything for you, but I never do anything for them, or I never show them that I love them, do you think that they believe that I love them? Of course not. It comes out of us. There's this, um, we'll just say when I was younger. I'm not going to say how long ago, a long time ago. When I was younger, I, I spent um, spent a couple of years working as a uh, sort of a uh, working at this camp. And one of the things that I got to do is I got to do uh, these uh, rope elements. Maybe some of you have done them, like where you climb up in trees and swing on things, and it's a lot of fun. It's great. Uh, and then there's other things that are kind of a little closer to the ground. And and uh, but the whole point of doing all of these things is all about trust. It's all about building trust with, with the people around you. And it's, all, it's not just about building trust. It, it's knowing that the people around you, that you can trust them and that they trust you. And so they put you through these tests and elements and different things like that to, uh, to reaffirm that trust, if you will. And so one of the things that, that we used to do was this thing called a trust fall. And, and maybe, maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've seen it done before. But a trust fall is where a person would climb up on this platform that was about six to eight feet high off the ground. You climb up on this platform and, and you would turn around with your back facing your people. And you would turn around with your back to them and you would cross your arms across your chest and put your feet together and you would put your heels on the very edge of that platform with your back facing them. And then you would, you would say this, can I trust you? And they would be standing below with their arms out like this, and they would say, you can trust us, now fall. 
And so the person would stand on the edge of the platform, and if they trusted the people, they would fall. But not. But you have to think about this. If they didn't have pisteo, faith that re- re- produced an action, a belief that actually produced an action. You, if they didn't believe, it wasn't, it wasn't just the fear thing of falling. I mean, it was kind of part of it. I mean, because you're kind of falling, you know, like you know, a couple of feet out of the air, you know, into nothing. But the biggest part of that was is if, if they stepped off of that platform without falling off of that platform, what they were saying is they were saying, I don't believe enough to do this. Our faith and belief, this is what John is getting at. He says, so that you may believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and if you really believe that he is the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, that he came to give you an eternal life that is better than anything else, then it will come out of us. We will live our lives in such a way that shows the world that that's what we believe. And that's what this book of John is all about. And so let me ask you the question. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father God, God, some of us may feel like this morning, God, that we're, we're like the man who, who said, God, help me, help me in my unbelief. Because maybe, maybe we have a head knowledge of believing that, that you are God in the flesh, that you are Messiah, the one that saves, the one that gives eternal life. But God, maybe the head has not connected to the heart. God, will you give us the faith to believe? You are the author of faith. You are the author of belief. Would you breathe belief into our lungs? God, that it will come out of us. We will live our lives in such a way that says, we don't just know that we believe, but God, we believe you are better than anything this world has to offer. So we believe. God, help us in our unbelief. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Messiah, you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, now is a great time to do that, to just pray and to ask him to say, Jesus, I believe. I don't just know with my head, but God, I believe with my heart that you are Savior. You are Messiah. You are the one who takes away sin. If you pray that to him, if you say that to him, Scripture is so clear to us that says that He will save us. He will save you. No matter how far you feel, no matter how long gone you are, no matter how long it's been since you've been in a church, no matter how long it's been since you've even just thought about talking to God, He saves 
us like Hosea went to purchase Gomer. He has purchased you. Do you believe? Jesus, save those and draw those and call those who feel far from you this morning. We're going to sing a song together, and as we do so, we just invite you to, to continue to pray, to continue.